This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Hi, I'm Shorat Kutin. With hundreds of millions of ringgit lost in the past three years to e-commerce scams, government departments and legislators are looking at ways to protect the public. The media has joined this effort, and today we speak to Adila Raza, Special Reports Editor at Malaysia Kini, who has attempted to gamify the experience of being scammed. Now, uh, we are talk back, of course. Uh, tell us what you think. Have you ever had a brush with a scam before? And how did you react? You can call 7733-2900. You can tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a WhatsApp message or a voice note at our mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It's 6.08, you're listening to Inside Story, and I'm Sharad Kutin. Now, according to Bukit Aman, as a Commercial Crime Investigation Department, or CCID, over 300 million ringgit was lost to e-commerce scams between 2021 and August 2023. In August, the CCID director uh, reported that uh, e-commerce scams significantly outnumbered bogus loans and investment scams, clearly the scams of yesteryear. Now, based on latest statistics uh, by the uh, Statista Research Department, uh, there are more than 8,800 reported e-commerce scams in Malaysia. And in December last year, Star reported that I quote, a total of 51% of respondents reported they encountered scams in the past three months, 26% encountered scams in the past month, and 14% encountered scams in one week. Now, um, Law and Institutional Reform Minister, Dr. Sri Azalina Othman Syed, mentioned a new law uh, is currently being drafted to have a kill switch mechanism for terminating scam-related transactions. So just to explain, a kill switch refers to an emergency safety mechanism incorporated in software, which can be used to shut down a device or program. Now, joining me in the studio shortly is Idila Raza, a special reports editor at Malaysia Kini, to tell us what they're doing there in Malaysia Kini to help people uh, become more aware of the various ways in which scamsters uh, wheedle their way into your hearts and into your bank accounts. But remember, we want to hear from you. So have you ever had a brush with a scam before? How did you react to it? Call us 7733-2900, WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. At 6.11, you're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kut. Speaking to us now in the studio is Idila Raza. She's a special reports editor at Malaysia Kini and project coordinator of the online scam game in Malaysia Kini's uh, Kini News Lab. Idila, thank you so much for joining us. Sorry, I kind of like mangled that. I, I think it's called, what's it called? Can You Escape Online Scams? Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, that's the title, yes. Yeah, right. Okay, wonderful. Now, this is not the first time that Kini News Lab is offering uh, us something in the form of, you know, kind of visual storytelling or data journalism. Uh, but for those who are unfamiliar with the work that you do, can you tell us what that really means? What is, you know, visual storytelling? Sure. So, uh for those unfamiliar with Kini News Lab, we're a unit within the Malaysia Kini Newsroom. So a very small unit with just only four of us. Uh, what we do is essentially interactive journalism. 
So we use data, we use illustrations, we use beautiful pho photographs and videos and animation to do journalism, to make people have a more immersive experience and be more interactive with the, the product. So it would be very different from, I guess, what you would probably be familiar with uh, for online journalism, which is sometimes it's a bit like a newspaper on your computer. So we don't want that. We want you to have a bit more of an interactive experience and to use more technology to help you get into the subject better. Yeah, getting into the subject is interesting because you've done so many varied kind of stories, right? And I remember, the, I believe it was the death penalty one where you can match yourself, your profile to somebody who actually was on death row. I thought that was particularly uh, emotionally yeah. interesting because you, you find a connection that you might not have if you just think of in the abstract of uh, yeah. somebody on, on death row. Is that essentially what an immersive experience is attempting to do? Oh, actually, it's uh, death in custody so rather than death, in death penalty. So the objective for that one was people usually think that people uh, who die behind bars uh, have nothing to do with them. I would never find myself in that position. So when they, when they put their details in and find that someone who has a very similar story to them and similar demographic, but they died behind bars. Uh, they have a different, different understanding of the subject. That's really the objective of, of that, to build empathy and to also make people see beyond just, I'm reading it from the outside. Yeah, you want to actually be inside the story, which is why it's called immersive. Right. Thanks for the correction. And, you know, I, it does bring me to this this point about, uh, you know, what you're trying to do, because you're really trying to get us to empathize with people we think, because um, some of us who think will never be victims of a scam, right? I mean, that's the premise, I think, with many of us uh, kind of, we walk around the world thinking that we are above it all. But let us, let me ask you this. How did you and your team come up with this idea to make uh, an online scam game? Because it is a kind of game, right? What influenced you? Was it personal experience or was it the news headlines? Our news headlines uh, in part, because I think we read these headlines almost every day. Um, some person loses 100,000 ringgit in a scam. And the articles are always very cursory in a way that they have like very, very limited details and um, no real understanding of how this person fell into the scam. And I uh, I mean, we knew that this was a big problem, that we know, um, like earlier you were talking about how the e-commerce scam was a few hundred, 300 million ringgit. But that's just like one part of uh, the amount of scam losses. Actually, last year it was more than 1 billion for other types of scams all in all. So we just wanted to do something where it wasn't um, something people would just scroll away and not understand that it's not something that you can just easily escape. Um, part of it, of course, we, we wanted people to be to experience it so that they understand the red flags, but also to understand that it's not as simple as someone asks you for 100,000 and you give the 100,000. There's a lot of persuasion and mind tricks that goes through that. That Yeah. Okay, but it, but I, and this is one of the I mean the kind of difficulties because I did play the game, uh, and I had to pretend not to be the person that I am, right? Who gets you know who who presses get lost? This is the scam, right? At the start of the game, in which case the game's over and there's nothing much to discover. But 
the material for it, to make it real and to simulate what actually happens. And you were saying that news reports are very cursory. How did you get depth in understanding the quite the me- mechanisms that are used by scamsters or the, the kind of real-life responses of victims to kind of simulate something like some, you know, something like real life. Mm. We did a lot of interviews with uh, scam survivors. I mean, they would want to call themselves scam survivors. Uh, yeah, so first we needed to understand the motives, but also, as you said, how did people respond to those things? Um, that, as well as interviews with psychologists to understand what are the, what are the tricks actually being, what are the levers that are being pulled by these scammers to get people to follow what they say? And uh, there's actually quite a lot of literature uh, in, I guess, the field of psychology. There's a lot of people studying why um, people fall for scams and what actually goes through their minds. So those are things that we, we did in our research to try to make it as real as possible. Can I ask you about those interviews? Um, was there a lot of shame, I think, in admitting to being a victim? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we did include... Some of, the, some of those interviews in a kind of first-person report, first-person account report in part of the package. And if you notice, almost, yeah, all of them didn't want to have their names, um, actually like, use their real names. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of stigma. Also because most, of the, most people think they're stupid. Like, how could you have fallen for this? So that's the stigma part of it, right? Yeah, that's the stigma part of it. It's a huge stigma. Most people don't want to share that this happened to them, let alone share the actual details of, of how the scam um, unfold. Because, yeah, that's just... At the end, people just think, how can you be so stupid? But it's it's not that, right? You, um, Yeah. I mean, so did you come away with much more empathy for people who are victims? I mean, did you sort of say... Well, you know, in another world, maybe in, uh, under certain different circumstances, I too could have become a victim. Yeah, absolutely. So what, uh, on top of just teaching people what to look out for, we wanted to, people to understand that these scammers are very good at putting you in situations where you don't act rationally. And whatever you do in that situation is human nature, is intuition. So it's not that people are stupid and they don't know what to do. They're placed in this situation where they are manipulated to do, manipulated to do what they they should have not, shouldn't have done. Um, yes, I think I maybe yeah. In the beginning, I thought I'll never fall for these scams either. But literally, while I was doing this project, I, um, my my husband had dengue, and I got a call that said that this is KKM and we're here to like check on some disease or whatever in your house, and that kind of matched with my reality, but. I, obviously, it was a scam. It was like a robocall uh, trying to scare me into something. But had I not been doing this this project and understanding all that, maybe I could I would have fallen for that scam as well. Yeah. So the powerful thing about um, you know the the kind of information coming to us and that matching reality, I think, is where the the scams of today are kind of at an elevated yeah, level absolutely. because of the kind of data that's out there. Some of it yeah. that we voluntarily give over, and some of which which is extracted through uh, criminal means. I do want to ask you though, at the end of many of the games, and before we get to actually you explaining what the game <laughs> looks like uh, to our listeners, you, you, you are referred, you refer us to Bank Nagara or PDRM's uh, Sema Mule site. And I, I said, did you intend to work with these institutions for this game? 
I think we did reach out to at least Bank Negara and a few other banks uh, to see whether they would like to support the project or work with us directly. But uh, in the end, we just went ahead with it because we wanted to, to just do it. We not have to wait for, for confirmation. But we included all that, not because we they are our sponsors, but because we think that's like really good information. Uh, also based from the interviews, um, some of the interviewees said that they were like halfway through the scam and had parted with a lot of money before they found out about the same up mule thing. And then they checked the same up mule with the account of the, the bank account that they transferred the money to and realized that it was a, a account that's already being flagged by same up mule. And by then, they would have already transferred so much money into that account. So if people knew beforehand that these things existed, they could at least do some checks before they, they fall for the scams. Yeah, so, you know, government comms, again, is always uh, yeah, kind of, a story that we keep coming back to on this show. Um, yeah, same on me. I hadn't heard of it, actually, until I looked at your story. Now, we want you to be part of this conversation. Have you ever had a brush with a scam uh, before? And how did you react? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp us or send us a voice note at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. I did. I just want to continue on um, with you giving us um, kind of a sense of how this game actually operates. Um, you know, could you explain basically the mechanisms and what is it that people are invited to do? Right. So it's actually a, a chat game, I guess you can call it that, uh, where someone approaches you on WhatsApp or some sort of format, the chat uh, app, and then you are given options so how you respond. So you could uh, opt out early by saying that uh, if you notice that it's a scam, obviously it's a scam, it's a scam game. But you, if you say, it's a scam, I want to get out, we can, we'll congratulate you, but we'll give you the option to continue so that you can understand the whole modus operandi. Oh, I didn't know that because yes. I never did that. <laughs> I, I played along. Yeah. So it's a, it, it's a chat game. So you get options of how to respond. And these are based on real life scenarios of how, uh, people who have fallen for the scams and what they encountered and what they did. Right. OK. So the one thing, though, I mean, so this is a weird thing, right? Because the name of the game is scam. You're, you're, in some ways, you all go into it knowing that, you know, what the outcomes are going to be. So how persuasive is it? I mean, how much do you have to kind of drag people to into this? So are you kind of promising that through the process, they might actually gain some sense, a, a deeper sense of what's going on than they would otherwise? Yeah, so I think a lot of us uh, now get a lot of this... Um get added into random WhatsApp groups and, and this unsolicited, unsolicited solicited messages. So they we automatically just um, block them. So we don't really know what actually goes on throughout the scam. So a lot of people who have played the scam told me that uh, it was useful to them to understand what goes on in the middle of those scams because uh, those are the kind of tricks that may appear in other types of scams that they may not have encountered before. So yeah, I would say... While, I guess as a, uh, if you if you're a very competitive person and you're a gamer, you want to answer that question: Can you escape online scams? And yes, and you escape early. But that's not actually like you won't get anything out of that. Like you want to know how all these scams work. What is a mule scam? What is a Macau scam? What what are the levers that they pull so that you'll be prepared if it actually happens to you? I must say I did learn about one thing though that, that did strike me in the investments uh, game was they kind of. 
add the condition, the new condition comes up, and then suddenly, oh, like, oh, didn't you know that you had to, like, uh, that there was a withdrawal limit or something yeah. like that? And these additional terms, you know, uh, get uh, highlighted or foreground only when you're kind of locked in and you right. can't. And so going back is almost as painful as going forward. Correct. Seems right. Okay, let's, uh, well, before we get to the news, like, there's, there's, um, Let's get granular on some of the games because it does seem like uh, each of them turns on the scammer's ability to play on specific emotions of the intended victim, right? So uh, loneliness, insecurity, greed, fear, blind trust. I mean, just uh, to maybe sum it up and correct me if I'm wrong. Did you come into this thinking that and knowing that, in fact, there was an emotional pivot to each of the types of scams that are out there? Yeah, so those those are some of the things that we we learned from the literature that's out there. That the psychologists have been studying this quite a lot, and really, it's not just um, being used in scams. Most of them are sales techniques. Um, oh, like is, upselling you? Yes. Uh, so there's this um, term that they use in sales called uh, "foot in the door" technique. So that actually uh, is grounded in uh, psycho psych psychology theory, where uh, by human nature we will do bigger tasks if we have had previously consented to smaller tasks. So you start small, you ask them to invest 100 ringgit, and then they get 200 ringgit back. Amazing. So it grows and grows. And then by the time they're already in, suddenly you add a condition, and then they can't get their money out or anymore. So that, yeah, it's things that are out there that people are using in sales. Uh, there are things that we know like a fight or, fight or flight, where we put in a condition where our brain um, just wants to escape it, and we can't think rationally usually out of distress, um, they put a time limit on uh, this investment. You only can you can keep your money there for 30 seconds only and then you lose it. That creates this kind of distress. Um, there's a few others, like uh, like as you said, uh, it's more painful to to move forward, or you, you to go back or move forward, that that's like the sunk cost fallacy. Like these are things that people have studied before and uh, are things that, the human brain just is naturally inclined to do. I wonder if scammers are reading the same, you know, <laughs> journals of psychology, or is it that they're just um, very uh, keen observers of human behavior, right? They kind of see it, because we all grow up w seeing these kinds of uh, responses that people have. And, you know, I mean, Jolo, because he's the, yeah, the, the, the most famous of our scam, uh, scamsters, uh, who's, you know, whose work actually could be read for precisely the kind of tricks yeah. that are played on people. But let's dive into one. My favorite, of course, um, um, is love because love is not just about money, right? So, uh, was simulating the love thing difficult? I mean, how did you? I mean, what do you think you were trying to do in the particular instance? Yeah, I really. They, it was the hardest of them all, I think, um, because we really needed it to be uh, convincing that it was persuasive, persuasive and convincing. So that was uh, tricky. But of course, I mean, it helped that we talked to to people who have fallen for those love scams and then they they tell us uh, what what were the things that they said that made them empathize or or say yes to the scammers things like oh i'm helping out this refugee family now my now my bank account is frozen so obviously you're a kind person you'll help out the refugee family I thought that was very clever and very <laughs> yeah. manipulative right but that's exactly the point it is about manipulation um 
and in, in, in that instance, again, you're drawn into a relationship with the camster and withdrawing because perhaps in your mind it's like maybe this is genuine and I could be hurting somebody yeah. if I uh, say no to it. Because some of the responses and the loved one are quite harsh. Like, you know, I don't believe you. I'm leaving you now. And I'm thinking, well, how many of us do that when we already yeah. have a connection with somebody? What were you based, Where? what story were you basing that on? Because I know you based many of these on stories. Stories, right? Yeah, so uh, quite a lot of it was based on this interview that we did with uh, a woman who we call Sarah, I think, in our story. So she met someone on Twitter and uh, finally they, they got together. They even started living together. And suddenly he was caught in a financial fraud. Um, he was framed for financial fraud and it escalated to a bigger conspiracy where the prime minister was involved and all sort of things. But her story really was so detailed that we were able to to see what were the scenarios that he used to make her part with her money. What were the levers that he was pulling to make her believe that this is for real? Yeah, so that was really helpful. Okay, I'm going to ask this because I'm an older person. Are older people, is there a demographic oh. when it comes to the love scam? Uh, well... We tend to believe that, that it's older people, but uh, also like middle-aged, like 30, 30s. So I guess I guess it is quite typical that you would think that someone's uh, looking to settle down, uh, this is their last chance to find love, that kind of thing. But I also want to, want to say that uh, older people are not the most uh, susceptible to scams, actually. Um, there's some research that shows that Gen Z are also very gullible in that way that they are unable to differentiate between fake and real as well as maybe someone a bit older, like millennials, etc. So, yeah, it's oh, not just old people. Okay, that's fascinating. Okay, you've been listening to Idela Raza, Special Reports Editor at Malaysia Kini. We're going to be back after the news with her. We're talking about scams and we want to know, have you ever had a brush with a scam before? Did you, and how did you react to it? You can call 7733-2900. You can WhatsApp or send us a voice note at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Break from mediocrity, BFM 89.9. It's 6.38, you're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sherrod Kutin. We're talking about scams today and efforts to uh, push them back or push back against them, find ways to stop them, get people to be much more alert and present so they don't fall victim to these scams. Uh, Government's involved, the police are involved, and so is the media. And so uh, Malaysia Kini, through its news, uh, Kini News Lab, has designed something that they believe is kind of an educational tool to help us understand how scams work. And in the studio with me is Aidila Raza. She's Special Reports Editor at Malaysia Kini. We've been talking about scams. But before that, I just want to remind everybody you can join this conversation if you ever had a brush with a scam before, let us know. How did you react to it? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp us or send us a voice note, 018-789-8899, or tweet us at BFM Radio. We do, in fact, I have a couple of messages here. Let me just read them, and I just want your thoughts on them. So we have Ron P. says, I got an email saying that I had won a lottery, and, or, and in order to claim the prize money, I had to pay a processing fee of 150 US dollars. I just replied that they could deduct the 150 US dollars from the prize money and send me the rest. A big smiley face there. Recently received a WhatsApp claiming to be from my CEO, who's based in Europe. Uh, I reported the WhatsApp using the block option provided. 
Do you see a lot of sort of, uh, do you see the, the patterns in what Ron is talking about, Adila? Yes, absolutely. So this, uh, the one that Ron said is probably like a more sophisticated version of the, your general job scam. So it's using maybe a picture of someone you know, but a different phone number. And they say they would probably send a message to say, hi, I just changed my phone number. This is my new number. And then... Which happens, right? That. It's, it's yes. a normal occurrence. Yes, absolutely. And now I, I don't know how to respond when someone actually messages me to say, this is my new number. I don't know. Is this a scam or is this for real? Like how I have to call them and check. Yeah, so the calling and checking is interesting because a lot of people, I think, have... Stop the habit of calling. Right. They, they, they just do mm. the, the messaging. They think messaging is enough. I, I like the auditory confirmation, the voice that I hear. Like, oh, you don't sound like my friend, you know. Um, so that does happen a lot, right? And, and, uh, and you're saying it's kind of sophisticated because it's the same thing. You entice somebody with a large number and then you say, well, actually, for a fraction of that... <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a prince. My oh, six wow. million is stuck in in a so and so account, and so on. The fa the famous, uh, I think they were called Nigerian scams. I think mm. they were called um, the unfortunate racialized uh, nature of that right. uh, expression. Aside, uh, I think that was what it was called. Now we also have a message from Nini. It says the latest scam attempt was a call I received claiming to be from a telco mm -hmm. I subscribed to, requesting for an instant OTP, and after I hung up not giving him the OTP because I was cooking. After reading the message saying the telco will not request OTP from customers only, I realized he's a scammer. So I called and he slammed my phone. He slammed down the phone, I guess. I mean, with Nini, this whole thing about OTP, the, these ways that security systems get built into uh, many of our online track, uh, interactions, I mean, is that something that also is a problem that we have become so used to online transactions right. and dependent on them that scammers are kind of find this as a way into our bank accounts. Yes, absolutely. So that is literally how they get into their, your bank account. And the worst thing is it, later when you challenge it, the bank will say you had verified it, you provided the, the OTP or the TAC or whatever that your bank calls it. So the happy news is that uh, most banks are phasing this out because they realise that it's a, it's a big problem that scammers are using this. So Maybank, for example, has the secure to you uh, where it's from your app. Um, yeah, so more banks are looking into just not using this OTP thing. But again, scammers are probably usually two steps ahead. Um, so it's, yes, it, uh, it's understanding the, the things that they ask and never to give them those things, but also understanding the... Uh, the tricks that they make uh, that they use to give you those things because the tricks all remain the same even though the the things that they say to you may differ yeah so you know so we can i think maybe build a culture of suspicion as, <laughs> as a guard against these things but i remember you know years ago i i got a call and the person said look you've won x amount of money it was a large number like three thousand ringgit and this was from a e-hailing company uh whose name i will not mention and uh and i thought yeah right you know, and so I put the phone. Thank you very much. And I, I was very polite because I'm always polite. But then what happened was I was on Twitter and I thought, OK, I'm going to put this on Twitter and I say, hey, so and so, you know, I got a call from your company, you know, purportedly saying that I won 3000 ringgit. And then they messaged back and said, 
Yes, but you did. And so, you know, so my suspicion instantly dissolved and I rushed over to their office in Section 13 um, and I picked up my big check. So, so there's this thing. I mean, well, thank you very much. It was many years ago and it really was substantial. Um, but I, I want to ask you this. Um, you know, there is this thing we want to cultivate in people suspicion or skepticism or at least an impulse for due diligence and all that, right? But could can we edge too far in that direction and become far too suspicious? Uh, you know, it's really, it's a shame that we have to live our lives this way. But unfortunately, this is the, the world that we live in right now. Um, there's, yeah, for me even, there's not a single day that goes by that I don't get some sort of robocall. So, I think that I, I I'm forced to live in this in this um, mode of suspicion always. Uh, and you think that's that's okay? It's just the nature of the times that we live in. Yeah, it's not okay, but we have to accept it, unfortunately. Mm, okay, I will ask you about this because th there's there is uh, I think there's an article that you co-wrote with Dania Kamal Arif, uh, mind tricks: how scammers manipulate human nature to entrap victims. In the piece, you note that often uh, scammers don't, aren't prosecuted, right? And there's no follow-up after a report has been made to the police. And why do you think this is happening? It's a lot of reasons. Part of it is um, the law. So uh, earlier you mentioned that, that the law is going to be updated. There'll be a new law that addresses this. So the current um, legislation, legislative framework doesn't really uh, allow them to prosecute certain types of scams. Um, another thing is that uh, scam scammers usually funnel the money through a lot of accounts, what we call, call them mule accounts. So if they can't establish the money trail and the money just kind of gets commingled with others, other uh, funds within those accounts, they can't prove that this account had taken that money. And usually they would use like third-party accounts, etc. So it's really about um, they're unable to, to provide the proof to get a conviction. So then it's a lower chance of them pressing charges. But so it's not a question of a lack of political will on their part or lack of professionalism or all the things that we often, yeah. uh, you know, uh, level at the police. Yeah. I would say, I mean, of course, in some cases, it probably is. Uh, the love scam that I mentioned before. So that case is uh, kind of, I guess, ongoing. So she had somehow scammed the scammer. She got the scammer into uh, to believe her, to follow her to a police station, and the police arrested him at the police station. And he was remanded, everything else, but in the end he was set free um, because the I.O. thought that she had willingly given him the money, even though under false pretenses. So that one is going through appeals with the AGC. So her lawyer has uh, submitted appeals giving... Like a list, a long list of um, possible charges that he can be uh, charged with, things like cheating or even I don't know, um, fraud. So, I yeah, I would believe that it's a combination of yes, the law is not uh, equipped to um, prosecute some of these cases, but also maybe on the police side or the prosecution side, there needs to be a bit more creativity in finding the right laws to prosecute them.
Okay, uh, you're listening to Adila Raza, Special Reports Editor at Malaysia Kini. We're talking about uh, something they have on their website. It's called Can You Escape Online Scams? And it's kind of a gamification of the kind of scam uh, modalities you like or scam scams that they are. They love scams, job scams, investment scams, mule scams, and Macau uh, scam that's there. Tell us, have you ever had a brush with a scam before? And how did you react? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp or send us a voice note zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine or tweet us at BFM Radio. Bole for Malaysia, ha! BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station. It's 6.48. You're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sherrod Kutten. We're talking about scams. And with me in the studio is Aidil Raza, Special Reports Editor at Malaysia Kini, who's developed, along with her team, something called Can You Escape Online Scams? Of course, if you press the right buttons, you can. But it's no fun if you do, because you, to follow, to be naive and follow the, the, the game to its tragic end is actually a way of learning, I think, about the scam. Aidil, you know, I do want to ask you this, and it comes from what you just said about the difficulty of prosecution, and one of it is the complicity of the victim in the actions that have taken place, right? So it's, it's yes, it's cheating, but, but you did say yes. Yes, you transferred the money. You, you know, is it whose fault is it if you didn't do your due diligence? And because scammers are constantly updating their methods and evading strategies that the authorities are putting in place and, you know, and, and like-minded individuals who are now trying to work at this, um, what does it mean for the public in terms of them being their own first line of defence? Yeah, so just a few days ago, I gave a presentation about this project. And my message to the audience is that you, we want you to be more resilient because... The, on the other side, uh, things are not that great. Like a third of um, police reports about scams are being investigated, let alone charged, uh, leads to charging. Uh, only less than 10% of phone numbers that were reported to MCMC as having been used uh, in scams were actually blocked. So I hate to say that it's all um, the victim's fault or what. I, I don't want it to be like very victim-blaming, but I, in the end... We just have to develop some sort, some form of resilience because it's hard to rely on um, enforcement agencies and even the law at this moment. Is there something for, say, the Ministry of Education to do? Like, you know, more media literacy or just having, you know, the the kind of lessons that teach young people who live in a very digitized world that these are the ways to do it. I mean, do we have anything of that uh, in our schools? Um, it, have you heard anybody wanting to start this conversation? I know there are organizations that are working with children, um, also working with uh, the Ministry of Education to conduct this kind of classes, media literacy classes, and also um, using our game now uh, to teach young children young children, um, young people, so teenagers even, uh, how to spot this, these games. And I think, yeah, so it's so important to make it a habit, I think, to understand that this is just part of your daily life, that you just have to do it, and to spot things that will... It's, it's like, teach, you know how we teach people how to cross the road or, or brush their teeth? It's kind of part of that now, unfortunately, because everyone's online and it's part of your life. 
Yeah, it's um, well. I like you know. You don't want cavities. You brush. You learn how to brush your teeth. You don't want to be scammed. You know, go for that media class that the the teacher has or the school is organized. I do want to ask you though for your final thoughts um, on 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 this particular project um, and also where next for Kini News Lab. Final thoughts. Uh, I really hope more people would play this game. Uh, I know. I know. It, most people think that oh, I'm never, I'll never be scammed, therefore I don't need to do this. But just play it and then realize that, yeah, maybe you might be scammed. There are certain tricks that you didn't know that, that you might encounter one day. So at least if you play it and get scammed within our game, you won't lose any money. That's my final thoughts on this game. <laughs> um, for what's next for Kini News Lab, uh, we're actually... We're moving into uh, the disinformation space, which is kind of similar to, to this. Um, we're trying to de- do something to track how our false narratives are spread within social media and to see who the main actors are. Oh, that's fascinating. I'd like to uh, look forward to that. Many months in the making or up? Because I know you just launched this, uh, Can You Escape Online Scams? Uh, how many months before your next project is out? Oh, we're hoping to have it ready by the end of March, but let's see. Fingers crossed. Okay, thank you so much, Adela, for for being with me in the studio and explaining this. I I think what was I mean not fun fun game, but it was. It, it, I learned something. I learned something. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. That was Idella Raza, Special Reports Editor at Malaysia Kini. Remember, we want you to be part of this conversation. Have you ever had a brush with a scam before? And how did you react to it? You can call 7733 You can WhatsApp or send us a voice note, 018-789-8899, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Be free-minded. BFM 89.9. It's 7.08 and you're listening to Inside Story and I'm Sherrod Curtin. We're continuing our discussion about uh, scams and the very human vulnerabilities that make us susceptible to them. Uh, We have on the line Victor Goh. He's an industrial psychologist. Victor, thank you so much for joining us and helping us understand uh, what's going on in our minds when scammers try to manipulate us. Um, Yeah, okay. I want to ask you, though, you know, scammers are known to exploit emotional triggers to manipulate their victims. Can you talk to us about how this works and what they do to trigger someone into making impulsive decisions? So I think that's an excellent question. Uh, In answer to that question, when we're talking about what they trigger in some people, it really depends on what kind of scam that they're trying to run in the first place. So um, the common triggers that occur across most scams will be um, emotions of guilt, uh, fear, urgency, uh, or even the the feeling of belonging, the emotion of love and belonging connections in that sense. But it really depends on what their modus operandi is for their scams that they're going to be using. I want to ask you, though, you know, in in kind of going on with that, does a scammer need to know the individual profile of the person? Or is it just working actually on an aggregate level that, you know, if you use this particular mode, you're going to hit somebody, uh, you know, eventually? That's a that's a uh, great question, actually. So how would they work? Actually, it's a combination of both. So most scammers, they start off at the aggregate level. So they have some generic opening lines um, that they use with almost all of their scam victims. And when you answer, that's when they deploy their probing questions. They ask you more. And from the answers that you're giving to them, even sometimes from the speed of your responses, 
they build that profile on you and they determine, okay, is this person right for a love scam? Is this person right for an investment scam, right for a job scam? Um, and of course, that's not the only data point that they have on you. Um, some of them actually do use uh, pre-obtained data that they have from you, especially in Malaysia, because the idea here is that I mean, we, it's, it's quite common, unfortunately, in our country for data leakages to happen from databases. And um, most of the time, these databases are sold to scammers and they use that data to build a profile on you. And if they already have that pre-obtained data, then they don't they skip the aggregate questions and they go straight into what they know will be your pain points and your weak points in that sense. Could you, could you kind of detail that a little more? Because I'm, I'm wondering if many of us recognize that we're giving out so much information, especially on our psychological profile. So how does this work? So for example, there are two main uh, sources of data. First is your own personal social media. So if you upload anything on Facebook, on, on X, formerly known as Twitter, on uh, TikTok, Instagram, etc., and it's public, what they will do is they will scrape that data from your social media accounts and they will build that profile on you. But what most people don't realize is that internet security isn't just linked to your own personal social media, but it's also linked to um, your activities on the web itself. So for example, if you're the kind of person that is searching for a new house and you're Googling um, housing prices, bank loan prices, or your, or your uh, bank loan interest rates, or you're Googling something like a personal loan, for example, all of that data is logged. And data brokers who actually have they actually track those data, can then sell it to potential scammers. And if the potential scammer knows that your search history has been linked, for example, with personal loans, then they know, okay, that's most likely the weak point here is going to be personal finances. You are looking for money. And that's their entryway into getting you to buy into their scam in that sense. You know, I guess it's also the, just the huge processing power that allows all this data to be crunched in ways that uh, can be useful to scammers. I do want to come back to a point that you make that about, you know, the various types of uh, scams there are. We, are. we were just talking to someone from Malaysia, Kini. Uh, love scams, job, investment, uh, mule scams, Macau scams. Um, can you tell us, is there a difference in the way scammers operate in each of these different uh, ways, right? T talk to us about the different kind of emotions they're targeting. Yes, definitely. There, there will be a wide range of emotions that they'll be targeting, especially based on the kind of scams that they're running. So, for example, if you're running a job scam, the emotions that you're going to be targeting in your victims is mostly going to be a sense of urgency. Uh, why? Because the people that tend to fall for job scams are those that are normally the ones that are most in need of a job, right? So their finances are running low, they, they, they are getting more and more desperate, and that's why they are more open to that kind of job scam. So it's, you're preying on a sense of, on the emotion of urgency there, on the emotion of desperation and vulnerability. And because they need that job, um, that gives the scammers emotional leverage over their victims. When they say, look, we can pro I can provide you with what with the exact thing that you need right now, right? And if you do exactly as I say, I'm going to give you what you need. So the, the vulnerability, the emotions there, the urgency, that's what they're looking at. Whereas for investment scams, it's a different thing altogether. Investment scams, you're not really targeting your vulnerability, but you're targeting more of your desire, so your greed in a sense, in a sense of urgency. So they're saying, look, um, if you invest in my company right now, right, um, you're having a special promotion, etc. this stock price is going to go up really soon. You better buy in now before the market leaves without you. So for investment scams, it's a totally different emotion they're, they're, they're targeting, right? And they're targeting more of 
an emotion of urgency and a sense of greed within most uh, most individuals. For love scams, for example, it's a completely different paradigm altogether. That one, they are targeting your your need for belongingness, your need, your sense of loneliness that you're feeling, the need to feel that someone is listening to you, someone understands you. So it's it's quite sophisticated, I would say, actually, the kind of emotions that they're targeting because they know exactly what you need emotionally at that point of time, and they leverage on that. You say sophisticated, but many of us, when we look at um, you know victims of jo- uh, you know of scams, we think, oh, well, how silly they were to do it. It's like, why didn't these people have some sort of inbuilt defense me- uh, mechanism, um, you know, that I would have had? Why is it that they are so gullible and naive? And are they? Do people actually have inbuilt defense me- mechanisms against these kinds of uh, uh, strategies by scammers? So I'm going to break down your question into two main parts to answer. And first and foremost is your latter question. Do people actually have inbuilt defense mechanisms? And the answer is both yes and no. Yes, in a sense where if you're coming, if you're coming from a place of security, then um, that natural sense of security, so you don't need the money, you don't need the love, you don't need the belongingness, that sense of security is, in a sense, a defense mechanism for you because you're a lot more um, able to take an objective view. But if you're coming from a place of vulnerability and desperation, you need to understand that what's basic, what seems basic to you, a a basic logic, basic IQ, basic common sense in a sense, doesn't operate on the same level when it's influenced by emotions. So for those particular group of people, they actually, it's not that they don't have an inbuilt defense, but their inbuilt defenses that they normally would have are being negatively impacted by the sense of desperation or loneliness that they're currently experiencing. Now, let me address the first part of what you were saying earlier. Sometimes it seems like, how can somebody fall for such an obvious scam? And in psychology, there's actually something called a fundamental attribution error. Um, In basic English, what that that means is um, things that happen to people are normally a lot clearer to us as observers. But when you're in there, it's not as clear. So it's a self-serving bias. And sometimes it's basically the bias of hindsight, right? Hindsight is always 20-20. You look back, you, sometimes you realize, you ask yourself, how could I have been so stupid? Or how could that person have been so stupid? Because you have the benefit of hindsight or you have the benefit of an observer, right? And the fundamental attribution bias in psychology simply states that as an observer, you tend to be a lot more rational. But as an actor, sometimes, if you're in that situation, you're the, you're the one that's, where the demands are being placed on you're not that clear. You don't have the same perspective. And to think therefore that, why would somebody be so silly as to fall for such an obvious scam? When you have that kind of mentality, you yourself are actually the victim of a self-serving bias because that's how most people think. That's a heuristic that we that we default to when we think that I, it wouldn't be me. It can't be me. I would never fall for that scam. But again, you are the exception to your own rule. Eventually, if you're not careful, you might be a victim as well. Everybody can be a victim of this. Uh, Victor, hold that thought. I'm speaking to Victor Go, industrial psychologist. We're talking about scams and how to avoid them, how they operate, and why it is that they seem to proliferate. So if you have a thought, uh, you can share that with us. Uh, have you ever had a brush with a scam? And how did you react to it? You can call 7733-2900 or WhatsApp us or send us a voice note at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Building Fit Malaysians, BFM 89.9.
It's 7.19. You're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutin. On the line, we have Victor Goh. He's an industrial psychologist helping us understand how scams work and why, in fact, we're all potential victims of this particularly 21st century phenomena. Now, you can share your thoughts with us. Uh, have you ever had a brush with a scam before? How did you react? You can call 7733. Two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp or send us a voice note, zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Victor, I just want to share with you a message that's come in. This is from Roberto. He says, "I have received many calls from the tax department, banks, police, businesses, and of course, award-winning competitions." All of them, either from overseas numbers or cell phone numbers in Malaysia. I don't even bother to try to talk to anyone, first uh, first of all, because none of those institutions will ever call from a cell phone number. If it's via email, my filter sent, uh, sent those dyer's num- emails to the junk. If I indeed have anything or done anything and I lost it, I'm fine. I was living without it. I still can live without it. But I need, but indeed, the number of scam calls that I have received in the last two years has been increasing tremendously. Victor, tell us about this uh, response that Roberto has. I mean, is this something typical, do you think? So I think Roberto's response is very indicative of somebody who is aware of how scams work. So in that sense, um, to hop back to what I said earlier, um, scams really work on people who are desperate, right? So for Roberto, I mean, what his response was saying, look, if I've lost that item and you're saying you found my lost item, I've lost it, I can live without it. He's speaking from a sense of security and that's a great thing. If you have a sense of security, that's your first protection layer against scams. But you need to understand that scam messages work on people who are desperate, people who don't have that same sense of security that uh, Roberto has in that sense. And it's because of that desperation, it's because of that vulnerability that people will actually respond to these kind of calls and this kind of and this kind of scam um, measures. So it really depends on what kind of psychological um, foundation that you have right now. If you're a person who is secure, you have um, secure finances, secure relationships, etc., that's an insulation layer for you in that sense. That's your security blanket. But for people who are not in certain areas of their life, that's where the vulnerabilities kick in. You know, sometimes I guess, Victor, it's not just what, how you feel secure. You might actually be worried about somebody else. And I want to bring out the Macau scam at this point in time because perpetrators utilize fear, apparently, to force their victims to cooperate with them because they impersonate figures of authority. So how can we bolster our own emotions and thoughts to stay rational when we're being coerced by people who we believe have power? I think awareness is a great start already, right? Being aware. Now, what do we need to be aware of? So in psychology, again, there's there's a very human tendency that we study uh, for people to naturally default to symbols of authority. Um, And it's actually one of our heuristics. A heuristic is basically a brain shortcut. And one of our heuristics that we use to navigate through life is that people who are in authority, people who seem to know what they're doing, people who seem to be an expert, are those that can be trusted for you as anchor points for you to navigate through life. And scammers really use that to their advantage. So when they call you and they say, I'm from the Balai Police Kuala Lumpur, or I'm from the Balai Police in Kerda, etc. I'm inspector so-and-so. They are using symbols of authority and they are banking on you to default to the heuristic that you have to just trust someone who is in authority. So being aware that you even have this tendency, now that's a good start. Secondly, I would say to understand that 
fear as an emotion typically undercuts our logical thought patterns. So you can be the most logical person in the world. And I've spoken to CEOs who are extremely logical, but the moment you put them under a situation of fear, their ability for rational thought and logic goes out the window. And this really is um, a second thing that we need to be aware of, and that's how fear impacts the way we think, um, impacts our rationality as well. And understanding, when you understand how fear negatively impacts you, then it's very important to understand, to, to, make, to never make a decision when you are feeling scared. Right. So what these scammers do is they'll try and maximize the fear. They will say, look, you're under investigation for drug trafficking. You know, um, the penalty for this could, could be a death penalty. So they maximize the fear that, they, that you have in hopes that that fear will, in a sense, short circuit your rationality. So the, the, the key takeaway here is never make a decision. Right. Never make a decision when you're under the effects of fear. When you're influenced by fear, never make that decision. Now, I want to talk about something that sounds to me like the other end of the spectrum. That's the love scam, because it's not and often is built on long lasting relationships with victims, right? Scammers and victims. For, for you, what are, the, what are the red flags to look out for when dealing with these scams, especially at the beginning of a relationship as a masquerade as someone with a romantic interest with, uh, in you? So one of the key tactics that people will use for love scams is what we know in, uh, in the field of psychology as love bombing. Um, it's called love bombing because it's like the name suggests, they literally bomb you with love, like they overwhelm you with love. And so some key signs to look out for to understand if you're being love bombed is number one, whether or not people, could be scammers, could be anybody else, right? Whether or not they show, they shower you with extreme amounts of attention and praises. Now, how does that look like? This looks like somebody who would text you the first thing in the morning with a good morning, darling. Um, they text, they make sure they're the last one to text you at night. Um, they make sure that you go to bed right after you've read their text messages. They text you at random times of the day to say they miss you. Um, they praise your every aspect of your of your your life, whether it's your work, your looks, your your social circle, your insta your Instagram post. They encourage you. They are constantly positive in a sense and. What's one more thing that they would normally do is they will try and share their vulnerable secrets with you, make themselves feel like they're opening up to you. All of these are signs of love bombing. Now, it's, it's scary because these are also signs of somebody who is in love with you, right? So if somebody is genuinely in love with you, they tend to do the same things as well, right? And that's where it gets scary. So how do you differentiate that? You differentiate that really just by understanding is the person texting you somebody who you've known for a long time and would rationally develop feelings for you or is this literally somebody you met in the past month and that person suddenly seems so in, involved and so invested in you right that's how you tell whether or not someone's actively love bombing you or it's really just a natural uh, progression of them developing feelings for you yeah, I guess the question of, you know, whether we can keep presence of mind when we are actually uh, being bombed with love. Um, Victor, there is this other thing, and, and this comes out in our discussions earlier with Malaysia Kini uh, and the journalists. They're setting up this, uh, you know, this uh, gamified version of scams. I, I want to ask you about the victims, the victims who feel guilt or shame. What advice would you give them uh, now that they've come through this often traumatic experience? I think my overarching advice to victims of scams is to first empathize with them and say, look, if you're a victim of a scam, um, it's hard. It's hard. And I, I completely empathize with why you would fall 
victim to a scam. Um, and it's hard because pe people feel guilty mainly for two reasons. Um, number one, they feel guilty because personally they got scammed and they can't believe that you know they were so stupid, they were so blind, um, they, they can't believe that they fell for such an obvious scheme. But guilt sometimes also rests not in personal actions, but it also rests in the fact that um, sometimes their own so-called foolishness affected their loved ones as well. So you've seen scam victims who've lost the money and belongings of their families. Um, and at this point, I think my, my reminder to anybody who's been scammed is to remember that you are a victim of a very sophisticated operation. These are not amateurs that are targeting you out there. These are people who are prepared who have done their research, who, have, who have probably have a profile on you as a person. And when you understand that, you don't feel that bad anymore because you, you, didn't, you didn't lose your money to an idiot, per se. You've lost your money to somebody who was prepared to scam you in that sense, and you weren't prepared to defend yourself. And the second thing is really to understand that you are never the one to blame. Um, sometimes in society, we, we're so quick to just say, hey, the victim is the one, she asked for it, he asked for it, but no. No matter how stupid you think you are or how stupid you think the scam was when you look back, remember that hindsight is always twenty twenty, and the only person who bears any shame and any responsibility in this case is the scammer and not yourself. We have about a minute left with you. Uh, final thoughts on staying vigilant? Um, I would say... It's a bit ironic to say this, but tune in to more of these kind of talks on radio. I mean, um, building awareness, really, it's, it's really about being aware. And I would say one more thing that you need to be aware of is that scammers tend to isolate you. So the moment they get a chance to tell you, don't tell anybody, don't report this to your husband, your wife, don't tell your family, that's always, always a red flag. So always be aware of people who try to isolate you, whether it's through a scam, whether it's through your job, etc. Um, isolation is always one of the key steps they take to make sure you fall a victim. So if anybody is trying to isolate you, that should be your biggest red flag already. Thank you very much, Victor, for speaking with us. That was industrial psychologist Victor Goh helping us understand uh, scam culture and why and how you might protect yourself against it. That's all we have, unfortunately, for uh, Inside Story today. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.